All right, this is good. Uh, I'm just going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by, the grace of, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us as has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, if your, gift, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. So in uh, 494 B.C., the Roman Republic one is, was in its infancy. Uh, and they were just starting out to become this republic. And there was a group of, call, uh, group of folks called the Flabians, which just means they're, they're Roman citizens, but which just means commoners. And so these Roman co commoners, who were called flebs as a short, short form, uh, were getting tired of what was happening in the city of Rome and started to leave in droves. They were separating themselves from the leaders and politicians as a way to protest against the overwhelming debt uh, and, you know, maybe high interest rates, maybe home prices were getting too expensive, so they were moving out in droves. And they even set up this makeshift camp as a way to uh, gather to, together and, and to oppose what was happening in Rome. There was a lot of disarray and, 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 and uh, problems going on during this time. And in the midst of this, there was a, the Senate uh, in Rome decided to send this man called Menenius Agrippa. He was to go and to speak with the Flavians to encourage them to come back and, and back to the city and to continue to live together and to build this Republic of Rome. And so he goes to this makeshift camp and tells his story. He says this. He says, in, in the former days, people's limbs did not work together as nicely as they do now. And everybody had their own way of living. So one time, the body said to the, the body members were, were talking with one another, and they were disgruntled. They were upset because the stomach kept asking the body to feed the stomach. 
And the body members were getting tired, tired of the belly because the belly was being idle, luxur- living this luxurious life. While the rest of the body was preoccupied with laboring for food and getting all this food for the belly. So the members decided to stop feeding the belly. We're not going to work anymore. We're just going to do our own thing. After a little while, they realized, wait a minute. We ourselves are becoming influenced and being impacted because we're not getting the nourishment that the belly gives back to us. So one by one, they start to fail and, and flag, and the whole body started to waste away. Then the members were convinced that though the belly was cumbersome and useless as it seemed, it had an important function of its own. They, they decided that they could no more do without it than it could do without them. And that if they would have the constitution of the body in a healthy state, they must work together, each in its proper sphere, for the common good of all. So after telling this incredible story, the story goes that Agrippa convinced the Flavians and they returned back to Rome. And the Roman way was saved. And this is one of the founding stories that was told in the Roman society where Aspiring orators would memorize and elaborate the story as part of their early schooling, where the details and lessons were ingrained into young minds as part of the process of becoming uh, socialized or being part of the elite. It would even be part of their popular play to celebrate and to remember how Rome came to be. And the story that was told by Agrippa is called The Belly and Its Members, and it's in fact an Aesop's fable, where the moral of the story is the importance of working together for the common good or for the greater good. That though you may not be the stomach and the stomach demands food from you, though you have to work hard for and to feed the stomach, it feels as, and it feels like you're just working for the stomach. In the end, really, we're part of the same body, and therefore, we need to work together. That we are a lot more interconnected and related than, than we think. We're not our own autonomous uh, uh, individual members, but rather, we make up part of the same body. Right? So this is, this is the moral of the story. And so we see something similar happening in our passage today. Paul makes a similar analogy of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Verse 4. For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is in teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We get the analogy, right? Just as one body has one body has many members, they all and they all have different functions, so are we in Christ in this new community of Gentiles and Jews in the Roman church. We make up one body and each member, Jew, Gentile, male, female, young or old, slave or free are part of one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And this concept would have been familiar with the Roman church as it was the common rhetoric of the Roman society and part of their politics. Have you ever heard the term uh, body politics? I've never heard of it. This is my first time ever hearing about body politics. 
But basically, body politics means using the body as a metaphor uh, to talk about uh, the state or the empire uh, or the city. And we get the, body uh, we get the term body politic from the Roman Empire and their use of this metaphor in their politics. So here, when Paul mentions the body and its members, Paul would have known the body politics of Rome. He would have known the stories that were told of Agrippa and how each member of the Roman society fed the belly. And the concept of our interconnectedness and our need to work together for the common good is, is good. But at the same time, it was the rhetoric of the powerful and the privileged, a way to keep the commoners working and feeding their overstuffed stomachs. It was the propaganda of the empire that keeps people in their place. You know, as long as they worship Caesar and pay homage to him, pay their taxes, they get to receive the rights and privileges of being a Roman citizen with rights to vote, to own property, to be protected and given the good life. And in the end, to belong and to have home. So it is within this context that Paul gives an alternative vision of what home is, what it means to belong and what it means to worship the true God. Romans 12, 1-2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but, the, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is urging his brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, who are now part of this new family of God, to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is what it means to worship God. It isn't offering our bodies to Caesar and to the Roman body politic, rather, we are to offer our bodies to God, where our body politic is not Caesar at the head or stomach, but rather, it is Jesus who is head of the body. Paul is offering this new vision, a new body politic to that of Rome, and says to the Roman church, do not conform to the patterns of this world of the, of the Roman body politic, but rather to the new pattern of Jesus Christ. This new rhetoric or perspective of viewing the world where Christ is our Lord is the renewing of the mind that leads to transformation. It's interesting here that the Greek word to conform is sus schematio, matizo, which kind of like schematics, right? And the word for transform is, is metamorpho, which can mean transfigured. It's as if Paul is saying, don't be fooled or fall into the schemes of this world, but rather be transfigured, the same word used to describe Jesus being transfigured on the mountain, by following the body politic of Jesus. And one thing to point out about this passage is the importance of what Paul says about this new body politic to, that of the, to this community of faith. Many of us have looked at and read Romans 12, 1 to 2 as what we have to do as individuals as we offer our bodies to worship God. However, worship is never alone, never done alone, nor is it an individual thing. Our faith with Jesus is always within the context of a community of faith. As one commentator put it, the individual Christian is joined to Christ only as a member of the body. The individual Christian is joined to Christ only as a member of the body. 
The Bible knows nothing of a direct mystical union of the individual with the Lord. The Bible knows of a union with Christ only as a faith embodied in the realm of the church community and with the church in the realm of the world. Meaning our faith is never just our own. It's always within the body of Christ. Therefore, Paul continues our worship of Christ to the community of faith. We cannot offer ourselves and worship without the reality of that worship being played out in the local church. When you look at the NIV Bibles, it separates chapter 12 into three headings. A living sacrifice, humble service in the body of Christ, and love in action. Those headings are not in the original text. It's just a way to help us to kind of uh, see how the script is um, organized. But what it does is it separates our understanding of worship of God with the body of Christ. Here, Paul does not do that, nor does he see it as a separate thing. Rather, it is a lived-out reality of what happens when we offer our whole selves to God, which always happens in community. So as we live into this new vision of Paul, what is different about this body politic of Jesus? What does his policies look like? Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Unlike the Roman Empire, where people boast about their station in life, unlike the patterns of, the war, of this world that says, put yourself first and make sure you are climbing that corporate ladder, Paul says to think of ourselves with sober judgment. The attitude we are to have is to be different from the patterns of this world in that we are to recognize that we, who we are, our abilities, our skills, our talents, but also our weaknesses are all of all a gift from God. It is God who gifts us with who we are, and it is God who distributes these gifts as God sees fit. I, I like the phrase sober judgment because it's not just thinking too highly of ourselves, but also thinking too lowly of ourselves. For some of us, it means to recognize that we aren't good at everything, nor are we called to be good at everything. It is having the humility to acknowledge that we need others and willing to, to ask for help. And is willing to let others serve us. For some of us who think too lowly of ourselves, it means to embrace the reality that you have been gifted by God to serve the body. And not just in all your talents and gifts, but even in your brokenness and your weaknesses. All those things make up who you are. And God has made you as a gift. And you have a purpose, and you have a place to serve, and you are a gift to us. And we know this, right? We know that the smallest or what seems the most inconsequential body part actually makes a huge difference in, in the whole. Um, for this, I mean, a good example this week, I was playing uh, softball, and I was running the base, and out of nowhere, the body part that I think of the least ever, so my Ring toe. Have you ever think of your toe, like your toe, what's it called? Ro toe, ring, ring, toe, ring, toe. Anyways, the toe, the fourth toe, right? It started to cramp. And while I was running the bases, I was, you know, 
doing my thing. I was running like a, you know, like a Roman athlete. And all of a sudden, <laughs> this toad that I never paid attention to, I don't think twice about, I only, you know, groom once in a while. It's, it cramped up on me. And I almost, I had to, like, I started limping. I almost fell. Right? The small body parts sometimes that we think don't have any use or, or is, it has any purpose has a great purpose. And you only realize it once it starts hurting, right? So God has made us to be part of a community, a family, a home that is interconnected, interdependent as, as a human body. And this is Paul's point. Do not think of yourselves too highly or too lowly, but use the gifts that God has given you to serve the body of Christ. We have different gifts, so use them as God has given us to build up the body. I want you to uh, look at verse 9 on, in your pew Bibles with, with me, if you have it. It's, I, I believe, page 920. This is, uh, I just kind of want you to follow along, if you like. Page uh, 920. Or in your, in your phones, if you have that. Uh, verse 9. So unlike the oppressive body politic of the Roman Empire, the body of Christ, the body politic of Christ in Rome, is to love one another, hate what is evil, and do good. We're to be devoted to one another in love, to honor one another above ourselves. We're to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, we're to share with people who are in need and practice hospitality. This, these are the policies. We're to bless those who persecute us, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We're to live at peace with one another. And again, as Paul mentioned before, be humble, not proud, not thinking we are better than others because of, of people's station in life. We're to live and reflect in community the character, character and attitude of the God we worship in Jesus Christ. We're to create this new home, new family, where we live in a new body politic that not only changes who we are at church, but impacts who we are as individuals in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our world. I was in uh, New York City a few weeks ago with my fam family, and one of the things that I saw over and over again, besides, you know, the, the lights, right, and like we were at... Uh, Times Square, right? And everyone's just there, I think mostly tourists, right? Just taking pictures, but you just, there's, there's lights everywhere. There's, there's messages of buy this, watch that all over the place, right? And, and the one thing that I saw over and over again in New York is the I love New York sign or t-shirts. They're everywhere, right? And like all the, um, what do you call it? Like the souvenir shops? It's all about the I love New York, right? And why is it I love New York? Why is that such a big thing? It's almost as if they want you to believe that New York is amazing. Like it's the place to be, right? Like start spreading the news, <laughs> right? We want to be part of it. We all know that song. For some of you who are younger, maybe a better song for you is a song called Empire State of Mind. Some of you know that song. Jay-Z, the lyrics go something like this. In New York, concrete jungle where dreams are made of. There's nothing you can't do. Now you're in New York. 
These streets will make you, anyways, right? These streets will make you feel brand new. Big lights will inspire you. Let's hear it for New York. Interestingly, the song is called Empire State of Mind. The Empire State of Mind is that when you are in New York, your dreams can come true. There isn't anything you can't do. You will be inspired by the big lights because it is within this lifestyle in the city you can have it all. This is the national anthem of the empire to live in prosperity as long as you play the game and you love New York. The reality is that we live in the empire and we are bombarded with the messages of the empire. And some of these messages are so embedded to who we are, we don't even think twice about how we are being shaped by it, by this rhetoric, this propaganda. We eat it up as it feeds our insatiable hunger to the point then that we can sing along to a song about the empire without even noticing that we're singing the anthems of the empire. And this is why Paul says that we need to be intentional in offering ourselves in worship to Jesus and to be reminded of and renewed in our understanding of our call to make a different kind of home in the midst of this empire. We need to hear this different rhetoric, a, a different story. We need, to be, we need to remind one another of who we truly are, where our identities lie, what our purpose and priorities are, and to be the family of God on earth as it is in heaven. And during the summer, we've been leaning into this idea that God has called us into this new family of God where we are making home together. And one of the days, ways we're trying to do this is by changing how we view uh, our belonging at Spring Garden. For example, one of the changes we're making is we're changing uh, calling our life groups to home groups. I know a name change doesn't mean much, right? Like it, you could call anything and whatever you want. But one of the reasons why we're calling it home groups, and it's not because we're going to all meet at homes, right? But what home means, right? Home is belonging. Home is a place where you feel like you can lean on and rely on one another. But home is also a place that you have to create. Home doesn't just happen. We have to create and make home. So, so we want to make that shift even in calling our life groups home groups because we want to be the people of God. Uh, how else can we make home together? How can we be the family of God with this new vision and this new body politic that is unlike the empire. Uh, another way I want us to consider this is through membership. And seeing membership as spiritual homemaking. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have uh, memberships to something? Whether it's Costco, a gym membership, anything else? Amazon, right? right? We, we, we are subscribe and are members of different organizations, and we reap the benefits of that organization, right? I, I'm, I must admit, I love being a Costco membership member because of some of the benefits it gives me, right? And, and I like being able to buy bulk at a good price, and, and you don't ever, ever have to worry about something being bad because you can just return it, right? Like, it's, it's a great policy. Anyways. Why is it that, like, you know, and, and, you know, so we have Amazon, we have, uh, you know, Netflix, all this other stuff, right? But why is it that we have such aversion to being a member of a church? 
How is becoming a member of a church like the thing we don't want to do, but we're, we're willing to just give ourselves away to any other, cumber, any other kind of organization, even without thinking about their policies? Do we know Amazon's policies and how they treat their workers, what they do? Do we know Costco's policies and how they uh, treat uh, their, their employees? Supposedly, Costco does a decent job compared to Amazon, but um, right? Do we know these policies? Well, let me tell you, and we've heard a little bit about our church policies. Our policies is to love one another, to care for each other, to grieve with someone when they're grieving, to rejoice with someone when they're rejoicing, to treat each other not just as strangers or, or comrades. Comrades. What's comrades? <laughs> I don't use comrades often, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? We're not just friends. God says we are the family of Christ. We, we belong to one another as family. And as family, one of the things we need to recognize is that family means adoption. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about adoption and of how God has adopted us into this new family. The other part of that adoption is our ability to feel like God is, we are God's children, right? But there's another part of that adoption, the other part of adoption is adopting one another as brothers and sisters in the family. I mean, your parents, if they divorce and they get remarried, it doesn't mean I'm going to all of a sudden take that stepsister uh, and brother and they're going to be my sister and brothers, right? So in the same way, God is saying, because you have been adopted into this family as my beloved sons and daughters, because I am a hospitable God who welcomes all people, you are to adopt one another as brothers and sisters of Christ. Adoption, I was, um, this one book called Adopted by an author named Kelly Nikon Deha. She writes that adoption isn't just about those who are orphans or who can't have kids. Adoption is for all of us as we are adopted into the family of God. And then, therefore, we are to adopt one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lastly, lastly, I want us to consider how we can be a people of welcome and hospitality. That was one of the other policies that Paul talks about of this new body politic. And how can each of, one of us be hospitable to those who walk into our doors? I mean, if you had a guest walk into your house, right? Would you ignore them? No, right? Because this is your home. And when a guest come to, comes into your home, Right, you go and say hi. You, you know, say how are you? Why? What are you doing in my house? Right, <laughs> but right, like you would say hi to them. Right, it's just it's just rude not to smile or say hi to them. So if this is your home, if this is your spiritual home, why wouldn't you say hi and welcome those that you don't know? It's not the job or the responsibility of just the pastors or the welcome team to welcome others here. If you believe this to be your spiritual home, we encourage you to be hospitable because it's your home. And I can't speak about hospitality and welcome without mentioning communion. We just had communion together. And we do this every month where we come together to sit at the dining table of Jesus. This is our home. We have a dining table and Jesus welcomes every one of us. And there's always room for one more. So how do we 
join Jesus as he invites us to his table to invite others to our table. I want to end our time with Mother Teresa. Have you ever wondered why Mother Teresa is called Mother Teresa? It's not that because she's a nun and then as a nun you're called, called a mother. She's called Mother Teresa because she was a mom to all the orphans in her orphanage. She was, mo- she was a mom or a mother to the hundreds and thousands of orphans. And what she said once was that she once said that, that the circle we draw around family is way too small. We need to be renewed in our vision of what family and therefore what home looks like. We need to look to our God who has, who has a much bigger table, a much bigger family, where there's always room for one more. How can we become the family of God at Spring Garden? Invite someone to your table. Invite someone to your home. Invite someone into your circle. Widen the circle. Or have no, no circle at all. But just widen the circle as a start. As we worship a God of welcome, a God who has a bigger table, may we so be the family of God in the city of Toronto. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are God who chases after us, that you came to dwell among us, that you've made your home within us and amongst us. So we look to you, Jesus, for what it means to be who we are. We look to you to, to know what it means to be a part of a family. We look to you to know what kind of policies we need to have, what kind of home we want to make. And we know it's hard that we live in a world that has different messages, different priorities, different things that are pulling us in all directions. And so help us to surround ourselves, to be reminded and to remind one another that we are your children. And that as part of being your household, being part of your family, that we live under a different politic, a different ethic, a different way of being. And God, whether it's here or somewhere else, whichever church we we land, I pray that you would help us to find a place that we could call home where we can serve and and be served, where we can do life together, where we could be um, family. So I pray for all of us here for for that kind of belonging. Um. Yeah, and help us to become a family and a place where we are a place of welcome. In Jesus' name, amen.